What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network, hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas, and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that isn't wizard or alien, but is part android, it's Sifpa. Welcome to Sifpop Weekly, streaming live most weekends are available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get those perks! Patrons get those perks! I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and each week we'll chat about movies, TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And joining me this week, please welcome our guest. He's courageous, righteous, hopeful, and has mastered posing stoically. It's Jonathan Paula, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you very welcome. much. Welcome. Thanks for Glad coming to be back, here. Man. Glad to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you Jonathan. say that with such with such surprise. Like I'm surprised you came back after what happened last week. <laughs> Listen, just embrace the, the verbal nerve reality. on this guy. <laughs> he walked in five minutes ago. I'm like, fine, we'll put you on the show. Uh, speaking of people on the show, uh, Andrew not able to join us this week, so we'll just be Jonathan and I, and we will be talking about uh, Winter Falcon, as Jonathan calls it, uh, instead of saying Shiva Baby and the entire uh, title. And yeah, Shiva Baby. We'll be talking about those uh, for this week and excited to do so. Uh, first little catch up time, Jonathan, Jonathan, since last month, how you been doing? How's life? How's everything I'm going? Still, still in quarantine, Aaron. Haven't really left the house. <laughs> I don't know. We're getting close. It feels like we're getting close. You know, we, uh, no, I've, I've been having a, a good April. It snowed recently here in New Hampshire, in the uh, middle nice. of April, which is nice. always fun. Um, I bought some bulk Lego off the internet that my daughter and I were able to play with yesterday. Just dumped out a big pile on the floor. Great. Um, and I got a new movie poster from my office, which uh, the people on the video feed can see right over my shoulder. Oh, yes. um, so, like, some light decorating happening here in the Paula household. But otherwise, uh, the same old stuff. Just uh, taking care of my young girls and watching movies every night. And um, excited to talk about the, the shows and stuff uh, we're doing today. I will say, uh, we just finished recording the members-only pre-show where we broke down some of the major Oscar categories and did some predictions and talked about what we wanted to win, what we thought should win, and what we thought will win uh, for some of the major categories. So that'll be there if you're a Sif Pop member uh, at patreon.com slash Sif Pop, that conversation. And along with that, wanted to remind you that next week during the Oscars, we will be doing a live Oscar watch-along. We call it the Sposkers. And uh, we have a great time doing that. Would love for you to join us. In addition to what's going on next week, there's a contest that happens when you make your Oscar picks. So if you want to like battle us and see if you can pick better than us on what you think are going to win the categories, which I believe are 23 categories now. Because there's they, too many. The, <laughs> well, they combine. No one will ever get a perfect score. It, it's just you can't get all. There's those little tiny categories. 
best foreign language short uploaded only in Hulu. Like it's tiff to get these ones. They're, yeah. They can't get them all. So the the best ever has happened twice, uh, and that's twenty two out of twenty four. Um, two people have done that. Uh, one so of them. No, so really, nobody. I was joking, but nobody has actually ever done. Nobody's ever gotten a perfect score. And we run have the table. Hundreds of people who who try. So maybe that can be you this year, and it will be a little bit easier because <laughs> the sound categories are together. So there only be twenty three. You only have to go twenty three oh, for twenty three this year. This I did not know. That is great because I never understood the difference. <laughs> I do video production for a living. <laughs> Uh, I will say this. If you want to play, if you want to uh, get your picks in and have fun with us next weekend on the Oscars, just do it now. Load up a browser right now. Go to sifpop.com and click on where it says Sposkers and just go ahead and do that now so you don't forget. I don't want you to miss out. It is coming up fast. Again, that is Unless Sif- you're listening to the podcast in your car and you're driving, in which case, immediately pull over and <laughs> That's then right. do that. <laughs> That's right. Even if you're on the busiest expressway ever, just pull over. Throw in the hazards. <laughs> just pull over. You know, there are priorities in life. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, get your Sposkers uh, picks in. Again, that is sifpop.com. Uh, and then just click where it says Sposkers. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Uh, all right, well, let's get into it, my friend. We've got some uh, fun stuff we're going to talk about today. Uh, in addition to Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Shiva Baby, we've, of course, got Best Ever Challenge, which is Best Ever movie- Movies Featuring Babies. Of all different yeah. sorts, maybe? We'll see. I am I am curious to see how you took this, because you give yourself a lot more rope than I tried to. <laughs> um, so I, I know for a fact you're going to have some oddball picks that just... Feature. Listen, I, I even said it in the definition of the category. You did. You did. It could be, you know, all sorts of different, you know, ways to interpret that. Yeah. Uh, so, if yeah. If anyone is, talks about a baby, if someone's <laughs> no. half pregnant. Okay, right? no. <laughs> <laughs> I have one I have one movie. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll talk all about right. it when we get there. And then, of course, we've got our buried treasure as well. But uh, let's go ahead and kick it off. Talk a little bit about Shiva Baby. Danielle! Danielle! Please don't. Is here and our daughter Stephanie. Jessica. Whatever. You should really talk to her, you know? No. It's just a job. Darling. Hi, Hi, Hi Mom. I'm so sorry for your loss. No funny business with Maya. Thank you. You think everyone that's by is experimenting? You have zero gaydar. Excuse me, kid. I lived through New York in the 80s. My gaydar is strong as a bull. You can't just like show up to like the after party for a shiva and like reap the benefits of the buffet. She lost so much weight. Yeah. You think she has an eating disorder? I just turned a major again. Feminism isn't exactly what I call a career. It's not my career, it's a lens. While at a Jewish funeral service with her parents, a college student has an awkward encounter with her sugar daddy and her ex-girlfriend. Uh, Shiva Baby is available on uh, pay video on demand. You should be able to rent it or buy it. I think you can buy it. Um, But yeah, uh, this has kind of come out of nowhere, gotten a lot of buzz, a lot of people talking about it. Um, I'm curious what you thought, Jonathan. Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? I really liked Shiva Baby. I thought it was a a very authentic, true-to-life drama. uh, Filled with a lot of like good 20-something angst and anxiety. The performances were solid. The low-budget approach really worked. Um, and I think if you have any experience with the Jewish community, Jewish religion, if you are Jewish, certainly, um, this one hits home in, in a lot of really funny ways. This is a very funny film. 
Uh, I think we're going to be on similar pages. Uh, I am straight up in the liked it camp. Um, I wouldn't even say high side of liked it or low side of liked it. I just, I liked this movie. Um, and so much of it has to do with the two things that you mentioned. So let's let's start there since we're on similar pages. Uh, one of them being how funny this movie is. I guess yeah, we can it's start really, there. And it's, and it's definitely like uh, the sort of in the moment humor there's not out and out jokes it's just situational comedy mm-hmm. and situational awkwardness and just the, the, when you add a bleak setting like a shiva or a funeral or a wake mm-hmm. this sort of a, everyone puts up their own sort of facade as to how they behave and how they act yeah. and this movie kind of tears that down a bit and deconstructs like the behavior, the appropriate behavior at like a social function that is sad. And I think a lot of the humor is kind of pulled out of that, pulled out of her relationship with her parents. They're Jewish, they're overbearing. And it it creates a lot of really great moments that I was able to relate to coming from a a pretty well-established Italian family. So I've been to events like this where the only thing you can do all afternoon is just stuff your face with the hors d'oeuvres and the appetizers. Like I just don't. Don't talk to me. I don't want to. This is just. I want to just be in the corner. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Anxiety's too no, much. I, I hear you. The the introvert that I am hears you loud yeah, and yeah. clear. Uh, the the humor comes from such a specific place, and that's the other thing that you mentioned that I want to talk about is just how specifically authentic this is. To, I mean, and I don't know because. I will give you one guess as to how many shivas I've been to, and the answer is zero. You you guessed correctly. Yep. Um, and so, but it seems like such a specific thing that I am all of a sudden completely get, completely oh, understand yeah. the the very Jewish nature of what's going on here. Um, I have uh, you know seen that in other bits and pieces of pop culture uh, from Jewish writers, Jewish creators, uh, but here it just feels so deeply authentic that the yeah. humor just feels so real and so funny and i think that's that is why more than anything this movie works is because it takes and you've heard it said so many times and it's so true it takes such a specific viewpoint worldview and doesn't shy away from the specific things that we may not have known we may not have understood but when you show them to us we go oh i get what it might be to be a human in that specific instance because you're you're not you're not trying to dumb it down for me you're just showing yeah. me what it's like, and man, I really love it when a movie can capture that like this movie does. I feel like it's, I've it, been this, to a shiva now. I really feel like I've been to one. You know, oh, in some absolutely. Ways. This is one of those like fly on the wall experiences, right? And actually, in many respects, not really fly on the wall. You're sort of in the head of our main protagonist, um, and, and in some cases, to, to the degree that the music and the editing and the ratcheting close-ups makes you feel as anxious and as uncomfortable as she is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is, I just leave the room, please. These people are overbearing and I don't want to be, like, you feel as anxious as she does in some of these sequences, which is great. Um, but everything you said about the authenticity and the world building and that sort of transportational empty, empathy machine mm-hmm. aspect of this, where you really feel like you're in the shoes, you've really walked a mile yeah. uh, in this community. Um, a lot of that has to go down with uh, uh, the director, Emma uh, Seligman. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she is this story. Like, she is a young 20-something bisexual woman brought up in a Jewish family outside mm-hmm. of Boston. And, like, everything about her story, everything about her personal experience is in this picture. And you can feel it. Like, she wrote what she knew. This is what she knew. And that is why I think so much of this works really well. Yeah. Is because of how authentic this feels and how believable 
and realistic this entire experience is. Because this probably happened to her, like beat for beat. Yeah. Maybe not with like as much big moment drama, but like this is clearly pulling from some real stuff. One of the other things I want to talk about is the difference between the humor in this that I think could be rightfully called cringe humor. There, mm-hmm. there are moments where it's just like, ah, like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. And the idea of cringe humor as we know it, maybe thinking something like Borat or something like that. Um, I think that's an interesting distinction to make here because I talk about not liking cringe humor, but here I love it. But it's because it's so authentic. It's the, it's the type of cringe that you're like, oh, that's what it means to be human, not, oh, you did a crazy thing that's just way over the top and now, you know. Right. And I think that's an interesting distinction to make and, and, uh, and one that I think, for me determines my ability to find my way in, my ability to empathize um, because of that authenticity. Did you find yourself cringing? Did you find yourself kind of in that same situation? Oh, but yeah, but in a good way. It was like, I I felt the the uncomfortability and I I felt the cringe, but in a way that I was able to enjoy it secondhand. Um, And there's so many great moments in this, little glances, looks across the room, where we feel like the sting of jealousy that she does, but in a way that... Mm -hmm is amusing you know because we, we kind of get it and and perhaps also owed to the fact that that you and I are, are way older than like I think she's only 20 21 in this movie mm-hmm. yeah um, and she's going through a lot of that like post-college aimlessness that I think a lot of people do like what am I going to do with my life and that's a big right. focus of this narrative is her overbearing parents what is she gonna is she gonna stay with her ex-girlfriend is she want to pursue this other guy that her her right. sugar daddy character Um and yeah, a lot of that angst and uncertainty that drives all of her emotional decisions in this were very relatable. Mm-hmm. And I instantly felt like an anxious 20-something college grad again. Yeah. And just placed in a situation with my parents where like, well, what do you do for a living? Like, I don't I, – I'm a professional YouTuber. Don't make me explain it. It's very <laughs> like – you know what I mean? Like I, I was there all over again. And it's like, oh, so you you do things on the internet? Like, how do you make right. money from that? Like, oh, I have an idea you can do. It's like, please don't, please don't give me your unsolicited <laughs> video ideas. I do not. Like, oh, you're a writer? Here's a book idea. Like, no, you write seventy thousand words. I got stuff to do. Yeah. And I think we've all had that experience at one point in our life. And this movie sort of encapsulates that the cringe, that embarrassment, but it leverages it in a way that made it really funny mm-hmm. uh, and, and genuinely entertaining. And and perhaps more than anything, the, the pathos of that was 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 very real and i feel like you kind of go through this movie being like i kind of felt what she did in in a, in a good way yeah yeah i i i totally agree with everything you're saying uh i also want to talk about the performances uh in mm-hmm. this because i think they're so solid and i don't think the authenticity sells as well as it does without people like Polly Draper and Fred Melamed uh, playing the parents. and I, like Fred I Melamed just... is great. We just saw him in WandaVision. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played the he played uh, Vision's boss. Right. Um, and he's one of those that guy faces, like, mm-hmm. oh, that guy, I know him. And I had to look up his name. I've seen him in probably 100 projects, TV shows and movies over the years. Um, and he's fantastic. He's like quintessential, like, New York, borough, like, old Jewish guy. And there's something about mm-hmm. the... Uh, uh, like the authenticity that he brings that like, yeah, he's, he is exactly this character uh, in a great way. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, Rachel uh, Sanat uh, as Danielle, the, our protagonist in this, she was so good. Mm-hmm. And I so agree. much of her, so much of her performance is internalized. A lot of it is just like glances and feelings and that anxiety when she reads a text message that like she knows is going to screw up her whole day. 
Um, she was really good. And this is the first thing I'd ever seen her in, certainly. I don't know if she has done other projects. Her filmography on Wikipedia is is pretty sparse. She was in the short film version of Shiva Baby a couple years ago, and this was adapted from that. Um, and like a couple TV credits, but nothing that I've seen. So no, I, I this is this is definitely her break on to the scene. Yep. And I think from this movie, they've already been signed for you know uh, to make a couple movies for someone. I say they, I mean the director and uh, Rachel yep. as well, kind of working together. That was my understanding of. I, I could have gotten that wrong, but um, and but great I, for them because I think this is exactly the type of sort of entry point directorial debut, low budget feature that like more indie filmmakers need to try to do. Like I, I see so many, especially on net, Netflix screens, them all the green lights them all the time where they try to go big with these huge ideas and these concepts that they're just not ready for as a, as a younger director. They don't have the ideas. They don't yeah. have the experience. This was like a very small scale, small budget. It takes place nearly in real time inside just one building, one uh, uh, ceremony of Shiva and over like two or three hours and with maybe, you know, a central cast of five or six and then, like, the background players of another 20. And that's it. Like, you probably could have made this movie in a couple of weeks on maybe a couple million dollars. And the result is just so perfect because they didn't try to go big with this concept in a way that they could have expanded it out or added other elements to it. They kept it small scale. And I think when you do that, you can get better results instead of trying to sort of maybe punch beyond your weight class. Yeah, there are two aspects to that that I wanted to touch on, and one of them is just what you talk about, the the fact that uh, this is in... And in fact, the budget was only 225000 actually. And, and that, that doesn't surprise it's me. Super cheap. Super because cheap it's, it's very much a, a bottle episode kind of feel to it, right? Like it is, yeah. and I wasn't necessarily expecting that, but that's hard to do sometimes, too. And the fact that the movie maintains the intensity and there's tension here... Like actual narrative oh, plot tension, um, and and that tension doesn't let up. The other part of that I wanted to mention was a lot of times I'll see, especially in the horror genre, when a yeah. short film. I didn't want to sing. I didn't want to single it out, but horror and sci-fi, I think, are probably the two worst offenders of first-time directors trying to do something much bigger than their budget or their experience allows. Right. And it's like, look, get get do something really small that you can do well, and then do it really. Like Kevin Smith and Clerks is a great example. He had like no budget, like no actors. He mm-hmm. just uses actual friends. And Clerks was a huge success. And then he parlayed that into these other movies uh, much bigger. And that kind of worked for him until it, it didn't. But <laughs> this, I think, is a good example of like, yeah, this is how you get your start in Hollywood. $220,000. It sounds like a lot of money to simpletons like us. But in Hollywood, that's extremely cheap. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I was this think- worked. I was thinking of... Um... Lights Out, was that the name of the movie? I think there was a horror movie uh, called Lights Out that started as a short film. And this has happened to me many times with horror movies that start as short films. I feel like it should have stayed a short film. I feel like they didn't have what it took, whatever whatever that to is, to build it out. And it just felt like a one, one trick thing that didn't work for 90 minutes. It may have worked for 10 minutes, but it didn't work for 90 minutes. And that and that's hard to do. So I think level of dif- difficulty here is another thing to praise because they apparently did take something that worked for 10 minutes and made it absolutely 100% work for 90 minutes. Um, this is actually only 77. It's kind of on the sorry. short side. But, <laughs> but that's, I, think, I think that's okay, though. Yeah, like of course. If you don't have them, like, don't stretch the script another 15 pages if you don't have that content. Right. Like, don't just, don't just like, fill it out for the sake of hitting arbitrary runtimes 
Like, you qualify for awards and feature length at 40 minutes in most markets. 40 minutes is qualified as a feature. So, like, yeah, get your 40 minutes and then call it a day. Like, you don't have to make it artificially longer if you don't have the story to back it up. And this movie, I think, was perfectly paced. It was just as long as it needed to be. And it ends on a fantastic gag. Fantastic. Everyone, everyone piling into a minivan. And it's just one of those mm. things you kind of shake your head like, oh, my gosh, what is – Yeah. Like you're just sort fantastic. of, again, your, like, secondhand embarrassment runs through line this entire picture uh, yeah, in a it's good great. way. It's great. Uh, I do want to mention before we close out, I'll make this my one last thing. And if you have anything else you want to talk about, uh, we can do that before we close it out. Um, mentioned Fred Melamed. I actually have known about him for a while because he got his start in uh, voiceover. Big voiceover yeah, yeah, yeah. guy. And uh, so I knew him from that. And then even more recently, uh, he was in the movie In a World. Uh, I was going to say, he actually plays a, a, a voiceover guy in um, Lake Bell's movie In a World. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Which is a really cute movie. I don't think a lot of people have seen, but it's a movie about voiceover artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny. It's good. It's really good. Uh, and then uh, Diana uh, Agron, I've I've seen before. I uh, watched Glee, and I know she was on Glee, and so I, I had seen her before as well. So I'm I'm glad to see her uh, getting some work too. Do you have my, else? my one, yeah, my one last thing would be the the music uh, from Ariel Marks. Um, a lot of it felt like a good horror movie, and I think that was deliberate. Uh, there were scenes where uh, the protagonist Danielle is being surrounded by more and more people, and they keep asking her, "Oh, what did you major in? What's your gonna, What's your job going to be like? Oh, who are you dating?" And it's just like. She doesn't want to answer any of these questions. And the music ratchets up that tension with like all these really these sharp strings. Mm-hmm. And and it it was good. Like an anxiety inducing experience. Uh, that my, my wife literally turned to me and said, like, I'm I'm sweating right now. This is making me uncomfortable. I'm so yeah, I'm so glad we got there because I remember having the same thought that this is the most non-horror horror movie I've ever seen. Yeah, like it right? feels like it really has all the the trappings of a horror movie. And the like, the emotion, the tension, uh, you know, from the best suspense movies, and like um, a couple extra shots of like uh, a Melamed in the bathroom, like plugging into a green tube or something, mm-hmm. or like opening up out of a pod, like in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And this is a <laughs> horror movie. Like just a couple shots where it's established the parents are aliens, and you're like, whoa, this is really scary. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they're they're just Jewish. They're not monsters or anything. But like that, they get so close to putting that into your head, like. She hates everyone. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I lied. I have one more, one more thing. Um, okay. The because it, it it strikes me that I I need to talk about how much I appreciated the uh, message and thematics of this as well, because there is a coming of age uh, angle in this movie that has been in other things, but it's done so well here. Of the I think uh, I don't know who I am. I'm trying to figure out what it means to be me. Uh, all these adults already know who they are, but then you realize, no, even the adults are still trying to figure out what it means to be them. And yeah. this movie very specifically allows her the revelation of, oh, everybody is faking their way through this in some yeah. way or another. And yeah, and they and they kind of clown on the parents a couple of times. Like mm-hmm. the car has a bunch of extra stuff in the back because he was going to sell it or, or paint it or do right. something. And he clearly does not have his stuff together. He's unprepared. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that, that, that sort of, um, thematic aspect of it. Yeah. It's good stuff. Shiva baby, uh, recommend from me again. It is P V O D. Uh, if you want to, to check it out, you can, uh, all right, let's move on to Falcon and the winter soldier. Superheroes cannot be allowed to exist. 
I have no intention to leave my work unfinished. The wall's upside down right now. Where do we start? Falcon and the Winter Soldier are a mismatched duo who team up for a global adventure that will test their survival skills as well as their patience. Um, I feel what a, what, a, what a thoroughly un um, unthorough pitch line. It does not tell you anything about the show. <laughs> well, I was just um, but say... let's be honest. This this is Marvel. You know already if you're going to watch it because you've right. already watched it. You this is not nobody's making decisions on. Uh, Winter Falcon, as I'll keep calling it, because it's so much shorter. <laughs> no one's making uh, decisions to watch Winter Falcon based on the summary or the trailer. It's just oh, I'm in. Like I was in as soon as they greenlit this two years ago. Yeah, yeah. As soon as they put the Marvel logo at the front, uh, it was something that I was going to watch. I feel like you could pretty much just throw any tagline from the Lethal Weapon movies, and it would work. Uh, for, <laughs> for I had this. not like... even made that connection. <laughs> But I love it. This actually absolutely feels like a good sarcastic buddy cop yeah. comedy at, yeah. at the be- at its best scenes. There's at definitely plenty best. of it where it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but I think the the central relationship between Bucky and uh, and Sam is what makes this so fun. And I think it, what, what makes the actual action work is that they are this sort of frenemies, this contentious teamwork. They like they don't really like each other. They don't really trust each other, but they keep saving each other. Uh, they keep helping each other. There's definitely like a, a good animosity to their allyship that makes mm-hmm. things interesting and certainly really fun. So let's uh, let's set some ground rules here before we get to the uh, sure. like it, loved it, uh, dislike it, hate it, or is just okay. Uh, we are through the first five episodes of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Which is just one shy. There's only going to be six total. Correct. So... Um, because of the Oscars next week and some movies coming out and playing catch up, uh, we figured we'd talk about it now, not having seen the finale. How is that going to impact our feelings on this show? Maybe a little bit, but I don't think a lot. I think we can still have this conversation. The only things that that may impact our our feelings are resolutions, if we feel like, you know, if it sticks the landing or doesn't stick the landing, whatever that, 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 that means. That to me is big. If it, I mean, that could that could change my opinion a couple of points in either direction. Here's, here's the thing, though. Here's what I learned after WandaVision. And maybe <laughs> there will be a Marvel show that isn't like this. Uh, I don't expect it from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I don't think these shows are landing. <laughs> I mean, they are finishing some series of events, but yeah. they are so forward pushing to the movies that yeah, right. I think to expect them to answer big questions to, you know... Uh, well, I, I think w- without spoiling anything, and, and of course we can't because we haven't actually seen episode six, this show is going to end exactly where it began. Right. Um, and I think that that has to be sort of a complete circle. The the we Where we last left off uh, before the show with uh, Bucky and Sam, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, Captain America had just bequeathed his shield the symbol of American freedom, uh, to Falcon. And at the start of the show, like the first scene, he gives it away to the Smithsonian. And I have to feel like the show ends with him sort of not only getting it back uh, um, like physically, but also getting it back um, like emotionally. Like he finally accepts, this is my role. This is the mantle I'm going to take up. I wasn't ready six episodes ago, but that's his arc. 
we we'll get into it more. Um, the other part, the other ground rule I wanted to lay is the spoiler ver the spoiler thing about this. As Jonathan said, I do believe if you are um, going to watch this, you're probably already watching it, uh, and so it is something we aren't going to the same we did with Wanda when we reviewed Wanda on this show. Uh, we did not worry about spoilers. We assumed that those who wanted to watch it were watching it. Having said that, if you do not want to hear, we're, we're not going to be like ultra go through every plot line spoilers, but we will be aware of events that will be better yep. in reveals as they happen during the, these five episodes. If you have not watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier and you want to be surprised by those things, um, the... we probably already said too much. <laughs> <laughs> I keep talking you, out of turn. I'll let you keep you going can, there. You can jump a, a jump ahead because we aren't going to keep ourselves from talking about some of the major um, points in these five episodes uh, that make the show what it is or what it is not. Uh, now let's do it. Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Jonathan, where, did you, where, are, you, where are you at after five episodes? Uh, I definitely liked it. Really like it. Uh, but not anywhere close to loved it. I don't know how big that chasm is between like and love it, but I am. <laughs> well, you said I really liked it, but not anywhere close to loved it. I, I didn't realize there was that much of a span in the categories. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, As soon as I said it out loud, I realized, no, that doesn't make any sense. So I, I'll put it in the middle of like Firm it. liked it. Uh, I yeah. am on the high side of liked it, maybe even on the low side of, of uh, loving it. I the interesting I'll start here. The interesting thing about this show is it is exactly the show that I believe people who didn't like what WandaVision was doing will love. This is the show Absolutely. that you thought Marvel was going to give us. Yeah. And in fact, the, a, this show or a show like this probably would have been first in a different universe where the pandemic doesn't doesn't happen. Um, WandaVision yeah, admittedly, was not... Le leading off with WandaVision was a, a curious but understandable choice given the sort of production uh, issues with uh, COVID. Um, but yeah, this feels like a typical Marvel movie stretched right. out to six hours. Right. This exactly. has your humor, your action, and your sort of character beats that slow things down. And you're weaving in a little bit of that like lore of the other things that we, we hear about other characters. We bring in... Uh, Zemo from the Civil mm -hmm. War movie, that villain sort of has a Hannibal Lecter-style return. And we bring in some characters from uh, Wakanda and the Black Panther franchise. So there's a bit of like interweaving between different properties that I think we didn't get as much of in WandaVision, at least like with the main, with, with Wanda, I mean. Mm -hmm. yeah. We got like some of these ancillary tech guys and we got, uh, what's her name, Darcy, um, I forget her name. And um, yeah, the other guy. Yeah, no, <laughs> the guy with no. the cards. I know uh, who you're talking who? about. What's his name? I can't remember. I can't remember any actor's name right now. But yeah, you know what I mean. The uh, the part about WandaVision, the, you know, that was what is this? This is strange. This is weird. And you know, one of the main reasons I love that show uh, and continue to uh, think that was just incredible TV. Um. For a lot of people, was it was just it was a bit too much, but I think they're getting what they want here, and I get it. Um, Marvel is clearly not pinching pennies on the action on TV. They're clearly making incredible uh, sp spending money on visual effects and and all that kind of stuff. Um, so they're they're giving it to us, and I think if that's what you you want and what you were expecting from these TV shows, I think you're getting it here. Um, and that is one of the primary reasons I'm having a good time, too, is because I do. I like it. I like this world. I like these characters. Uh, I like the chemistry between these two. I think it's great. I think 
Um, the show is moving to some interesting places. It definitely has a point of view. Um, it is definitely a show about, uh, you know, racism as it is applied to nationalism and yeah. the, the idea of wrestling with the demons of your country at the same time as you want to, um, you know, that's, uh, embrace that's, that your country. Is- like there's, there's a real that we're all having to do, but especially a person of color who is dealing with what it means to be America. What, what does that really mean? Yeah. How, how do you, that, I think that's been one of the most interesting uh, sort of character threads and certainly one of the most interesting subplots is uh, Anthony Mackie as the Falcon, as Sam struggling with how do I accept the responsibility and the symbolism of being Captain America with the idea of that, that's ultimately why he rejects it in the beginning, I think, mm-hmm. um, is how do I accept that responsibility while being a black man in a country that doesn't like me, yeah. that, that constantly maligns uh, uh, my race? Like, how, how do you reconcile uh, a country, uh, defending a country you love when it's filled with people that hate you? Um, and, 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 this filled, is, this, this... and filled with inherent deep bias that is going to you know, take a long time, yeah. if ever, to excise. You know, like it's just it's built into the foundation uh, in many ways. So yeah, and I and I love that Marvel is is going down that route. And I don't want to say they're going political. That's such a, a stupid phrase that carries no meaning to me. Like political mm-hmm. is it's comic book. They're all political. They all have politics right. involved. But like being so overt with the sort of tackling of racial and, and, and social issues that are very prevalent and very important today and actually just bringing them right to the forefront and to contextualizing them with the shield as like, this is the symbol of American freedom. But what what if it was literally and figuratively stained in the blood mm-hmm. of people that we had imprisoned and enslaved? Like that is a very interesting uh, yeah. dilemma for a character that's black in you know 21st century America. And they tackle it head on here, which I was not expecting. I would thought this would just be like, Fun jokes and punches, and we get plenty of that. Sure, but there's some there's some deeper stuff here that I think, especially in episode five, I would say I was maybe not lukewarm, but I was enjoying the show to an average degree. Episode five was a big slowdown. It opens with action, but then like 45 minutes straight is like character building. We get some nice montages, and we get a lot of introspection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved everything in the fifth episode to a degree. Like I instantly was like, okay, I'm on board now. Yep. I, didn't really care. I didn't really. I knew where the show was going, and I wasn't really interested. Now I'm like fully on board, and I, I'm so much more invested in just that entire story with with Falcon and like what is going to happen to him and how that'll affect him and his family. Whereas I, I don't know that I cared before episode five. Yeah, I uh, my journey has been uh, loved it ap- after episode one. Um, I think, uh, just the fact, listen, Marvel has an unfair advantage here. Can we be honest? They just have an unfair advantage. They have decade over a decade of emotional investment in the story that they continue, the serialized cinematic story that they continue to tell. They have 12, 12 year TV series. They they have the ability to bring Don Cheadle off the bench for five minutes. Like, yeah. how do you do that? You know what I mean? Like that's just that's that's just insane. And uh, and I was I was loving it. Episode- and they have the budget uh, in the first episode. Correct. The the show opens. I almost called it a movie. The show opens with like this aerial uh, like dog fighting uh, aerial fight over I think Afghanistan or mm-hmm. Libya. Yeah. And it's like a twelve minute cold open that rivals the best 
action scenes in any feature-length film. And I'm like, this this is a TV show. Who are you trying to impress? You must have spent <laughs> $6 million on this first 12 minutes alone. And I think the entire six episodes, I want to say it cost them $150, $200 million. Yeah. This was an expense, like minute for minute. As expensive as Game of Thrones and 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 the old shows on HBO like Rome or Carnival, but not like, quite, this is pricey. Not quite as much as Amazon is apparently going to spend on the first season of uh, Lord of the Rings. Did you see that? Uh, I that, heard something about four hundred and sixty-five uh, million. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say four hundred, right? Like that's <laughs> what? What? Uh, that's the GDP of several African uh-huh. countries. Yeah, yeah, probably yeah. European ones too. Like the big ones. Like how much does France make in a year? So Less than Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> so by episode two, I'm still in love uh, with the show. I think the things it does early on in this series with Bucky and him wrestling with his own demons is is really powerful. And they don't shy away from that. And, you know, maybe not just as much as what uh, Sam is going through, but Bucky is also dealing with his own, um, you know, uh, personal uh, you know, things that he has done. So there's a difference between, you know, uh, a bias that is integrated into you or your country or those kind of things, and then the actual actions you take, and uh, Bucky is wrestling with that. Yeah, I think that's been, it's been so fascinating to see a, a black guy that has been... Um, we haven't seen, like, direct issues of, of Sam dealing with, with, like, racism. It's definitely implied, and we see it with other characters, mm-hmm. and we hear about it. Uh, teaming up with a guy that is like the literal personification of imperialism. Like the Winter mm-hmm. Soldier was a white man brainwashed, sent to other countries to impose America's will. Like he is literally yes. like the definition of imperialism as a person. Right. Like a brainwashed agent of America, uh, right. just like the government complex. Just we have to go to other countries and take them over and in prison. And like, right. And somehow they turn this character into uh, like a really empathetic and interesting guy who you want to root for to overcome all of that baggage yeah. as he searches for meaning of like, can I even reconcile what I've done? Can I make amends for all these things I've done? Yeah. And his and his character and his plot has been really fascinating as well. So episode one, episode two, totally on board. Love it, love it, love it. Episode three, uh, I, I, I just, I wasn't in. I was just like, I, all of a sudden, I, I, I think it's the uh, Zemo prison break and that kind of stuff. And I was like, I get what's going on here, but so much of it didn't make sense to me. Um, I still don't understand how they got Zemo out of prison. I like, I still they, they, do- they really glossed right over. <laughs> I still don't understand why the Winter Soldier, specifically Bucky, would want to get him out of prison. Like, I mean, all the stuff the show is trying to do after the fact with the Wakandans. You know, making sure that that Zemo yeah. is taken care of or whatever. Um, it just it shouldn't have been necessary. I, I just you know the, the show never convinced me that the Zemo part was necessary. I'm glad. I love the three of them together. They're he, fun. He, They're, he brought so much. He's more great. humor yes. than I was expecting. He was yes. a very funny character. I just I didn't have any buy in. All of a sudden, it became yeah. it became more point A to point B. Then you've got episode four. And it's more point A to point B that feels rushed. The whole thing with the Wyatt Russell character, um, the John Walker, the new I think, cap, the new the, cap, the yeah, new yeah. Captain America, where he ends at the end of that episode, you know, standing over the the dead body with the blood on the shield or or whatever, and it's just he, like that that moment worked, but it was so it wasn't it earned was so, though. Like he, how it, did yeah, he it, get there? Like I mean, 
Well, it, it, to me, it felt so telegraphed. Like, oh, yeah. good, evil Captain America did something evil. We all knew he was gonna. <laughs> like, there was no, there was nothing. But the show never I sold us why he yeah. turned. Like, you know, like I, I get it. It winks at his pressure and how the pressure of the shield weighs on him. But I, but there's just I don't know. It just it didn't quite work for me. And then I think Wyatt Wyatt Russell's doing a great job as I think like so. Evil Cap for for you know, easier parlance, just Evil Cap. Um, but I don't think he's a very interesting character. He's just right. He's brought in, and it's like okay, we're obviously not going to like this guy. He's not Chris Evans. He's not the old Captain America. So right off the bat, he's playing with a deficit. And they try to establish him as like a good guy with medals of honor and purple hearts or whatever. But like the whole time we're going, you're not, you're not, you're not my Captain America. I don't care about you. Right. And they try to engender him onto the audience. But by the end of the fourth episode, when he turns into this super evil, like kicking the puppy bad guy, it's like, yeah, okay, I, I knew that was coming. Of course he's not good. He's not Chris Evans. <laughs> and there was just, there was no, the, the arc there, there was no arc. Cause like I knew he was bad. And Correct. then he, they tried to trick us and it didn't work and he ended up bad. Okay. So what was we, the mortal of that? We agree on parts maybe of we'll that. Find out in the, yeah, maybe we'll find out in episode six, but I, I have been very, very uh, tepid on him. We agree on parts of that, disagree on parts of that. I, we we okay. agree that there is no character arc with this character. And I think that's yeah. the, the, the largest problem is it just doesn't feel like there's a, there is a middle to the beginning and the end that they're trying to lay out before us. I actually believe... Uh, unlike what it sounds like you believe that that Marvel's intention was for us to not like him from the beginning but they are tr but they were also simultaneously laying the groundwork of maybe possibly he's a good guy um you know so you, underneath you think him. we were supposed to love him from the jump I, I no I think we we're supposed to hate him from the jump right right yeah I think I think straight from the the shot from below that emphasizes, how terrible that costume looks on him <laughs> that they were that they were sending big floppy ears it you just know and it's the but it's the it, chris evan also had like the the stick out ears on that costume that costume does that to the ears i don't i don't understand the aesthetics there but don't anyways be, don't be speaking ill of chris's attractiveness now <laughs> no no the, the, i'm just Ill. saying there are a few men that could make that uh yeah right <laughs> could do that but uh but no i think right from the beginning they're trying to let us know that something is off you know um so i don't i don't think they're trying to sell us uh, that he's great. I just think that they're underlying it with, um, they're trying to create some sort of tension that you're right, just isn't there. We just, we know yeah. where this is going. Um, so yeah. Which I think is ultimately why he wasn't interesting to me. Like I, his right. arc, his character, I know that he's just getting in the way of what will eventually happen. And, and for me, especially over six episodes and not a two hour movie, I'm kind of like, all right, can we get him out of the way and get on to the next part? Yeah. And, and, and a good deal of, I think my frustration with his character is impatience. But um, episode six will kind of tell us if if that impatience was was warranted or not. And so, so far, I feel like, yeah. So episode three, I'm kind of out. Episode four, I'm even more kind of like, okay, point eight. I was really feeling like we're at um, season eight Game of Thrones in episode four, where it's like characters are getting to the place they're supposed to be, but yeah. none of it is, you know, earned and it's just rushed and... And then we get to episode five, and I'm just like all back. I love episode five. I just I, I really enjoyed some of the stuff it did. I loved all the the stuff it did with with Sam. Um, I loved the inter introduction of uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus. Uh, like that. I have no was... idea. I'm just excited that she's in it. Because right? if it's if it's any other character, <laughs> if it's any other actress, or I should say maybe not any other, but if it's a smaller actress, like a smaller name, 
It's just, okay, that's interesting. But because they get, like, a, a seven-time Emmy winner, like Julia, it's like, okay, immediately, this is important. I need to pay attention. What's happening? What are they setting up? It's too late in the show to do anything big. So is this going to feed into a movie? Or is this Absolutely. Gonna be like... 100%. It has to. And I th- I, I'm just like, okay, I, I don't know what you're planning, but because it's Julia, I'm on board. She commands a lot of authority. She walks in. We actually start the shot on her heels before it tilts up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, snap. You got, yeah. you got the girl from Seinfeld. I'm interested now. <laughs> and she's so good in that scene, and I'm excited to see where it goes to. I guess she her character was uh, supposed to be introduced in um, Black Widow, in the Black Widow movie. Uh, oh, so, interesting. So, because this originally was supposed to be after Black Widow. Yeah, um, yeah, right. So... So yeah, it's just it, it's going to be fascinating. But I'm all the way back in, and honestly, I feel like uh, episode six will land it enough to kind of continue the Marvel juggernaut on. I'll still be very interested in where things are going. There'll be a big revolution. We all know what's in the case. You know, I don't need to see it. I know what's there. I can't wait to see it. It'll be exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. You know, they've got me in the palm of their hand on that one. Like I just, they know I, they do too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I just, it is and I just feel like ninety nine a month. They know they do. <laughs> I just feel like they're going to do the same thing. They're not going to land the ship. The ship is going to continue to rocket to the next thing, and I'm on board. Like I, you know, yeah, right. I'm staying on the rocket ship, man. I a, I just, a couple, really a couple of quick it. things here. Some, some, um, some questions and theories. Um, do you think they will re-edit Black Widow from its original version a year ago? Yes. To better account for the fact that we've already been introduced to some people. Yes. What would have been have an introduction to. is now sort of a revisit. So they're going to change maybe how that was done. I believe so. Uh, and second question, uh, if I can remember it now, let's see. You, the second thing you mentioned was the, oh, the the going into the next project, setting up everything. Everything in Marvel is setting up the next thing, right? We mm-hmm. can't ever just end a movie sure. without setting up the next one. My question is: Is there anything Marvel could do that would derail that train? Just, I mean. Yes. If they've released a turd sure. smelly enough, would we all be like, all right, that's it. We're not going to watch the next one. No, they've 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 earned one turd. <laughs> like they've well, earned at least one Thor turd. Two. But uh <laughs> but you know, I mean, Pixar released uh, Cars 2, right? Like I mean, you you, yeah, right. you you get one or two. But what they would have to do, I think, is to I, I don't know how to say this other than I think a lot of this has to do with the shepherding of the content, and Kevin Feige is a huge part of that. And I don't mean yeah. to sound like he's the only reason this works, but I do believe if there was somebody else who stepped he's in a and had a different why it works. But if somebody else stepped in and had a different vision for the overall storytelling, yeah, and right. it just didn't work as well, that's how the train derails. The train derails because the overall vision derails well let's let's say they pull a spider the only way i we don't need to go down this road too much longer but it's an interesting thought experiment that they pull like a spider-man right where they have one bad movie nobody likes it it's it's another like thor to some weird esoteric thing that Mm -hmm. we don't care for and then what they do is we're going to reboot it we're going to do all new cast we're going to throw away 15 years of all the multi i think it's over at that point i i don't think yeah i don't think i think if they if they if they tried to restart and reboot and recast like they did no. with Spider-Man 2 or the X-Men, that's where people are like, forget it. This is no. like – Yeah. Especially since so we only lost, like uh, for all intents and purposes, two characters after Endgame, Iron Man and Captain America. Black Widow is it was gone, but still really getting another movie. And all these other characters are getting their own TV show. So I, I think it's full steam ahead. And now that, that one train is now an express of multi-different tracks all headed in new directions. Um yeah, so even if you hate Winter Falcon, I think uh, tough, you know, 
it's going to go. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be really successful. This movie is, go- I mean, the show is going to you drive up subscriptions on Disney Plus. It's going to lead right into Loki in a few weeks. Um, I, ca- I can't wait. I'm excited for it. I think episode five did some really exciting stuff where we finally start to see sort of the wind down of that arc of the over these six episodes. And now we know where this conclusion is really headed. Um, and that's exciting. I love things that end. Uh, the last episode of any show is usually one of my favorites because I just want some satisfying conclusion. Mm-hmm. And and for so long, Marvel has been uh, really reluctant to end anything with any uh, finality. And, and to your point, I feel like they are going to just be like, yeah, let's – they're not going to land the plane. They might touch down and let did somebody you feel jump like, off. Did you feel like WandaVision going. ended? Um, we, got, we got like a really decent conclusion to sort of her arc um, – Vis-a-vis grief, right? We right. understood, like, she right. ended that arc. Right. But she, as a person, she ended up right back where she was. Plus, there's a vision. There's an extra vision <laughs> floating around. Right. So, like, I, I think we'll get a re- resolution to the arc built in this show, which is Bucky will find amends with his past, and Sam will find the the, the courage to take up the title of Captain America. Right. But at the end of the show, the characters are going to be back where they started. Part of the Avengers... With their cool tech and their witty sarcasm, and they're going to be kicking bad guys, and there's not going to be any anything to stop that from going. I, I think Marvel deliberately has been building these shows so that you can skip them and still enjoy the movies on a parallel track without – like you don't have to know what happened in WandaVision to appreciate the next Doctor Strange film. I don't think. Well, they've been doing that, though, the whole time, right? The yeah. whole time they've been trying to make, other than you could say Infinity War and Endgame – they have yeah. been they have been trying to make Guardians of the Galaxy movies that you don't have to have seen any other Marvel m- movies right. to enjoy. Um, I don't know who that person is that is just going yeah. to see Guardians of the Galaxy movies and not the rest of them, but they right. exist. I'm sure they exist. Well, of course, um, because the box office returns for one is three billion, right? And then these other movies are down here in like four hundred and five hundred. Right. Okay, so there's clearly six times as many people saw Endgame as did Thor three or Thor two or whatever. Right. So there are people that skip over projects. And I think Marvel is deliberately making these programs in a way that they're not integral to understanding where these characters are. But it's great backstory and extra filler for like the mid-season stuff. And you have to look at the long game too. They have to continue to do that or else new fans don't come along. In order for somebody, let's say somebody who who was born 10 years ago, you know, is born after Iron Man has already come out. When they get to like movie watching, movie enjoying age, let's even say, you know, 11, 12, you know, that it's kind daunting. of range. There's, there's it's hundreds, daunting. Hundreds, it's dozens of hours of content. It, it's now. like me trying to think, well, do I really want to go back and watch all the Sopranos? Do I really want to, you know, invest in this? I've heard it's amazing. It's great. So like if they don't bring new people in in a way that can be like, no, 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 it's okay. You can go back to that stuff if you want to once you're in. But watch this movie. This is going to be fun. Like they have to do that on a long term scale, or they're just they're setting themselves up for obsolescence when, you know, new younger uh, audiences come in and just like, well, you know, and that probably will naturally happen anyway over time. There will be a a bit of like, well, Marvel is my dad's thing, you know, or Marvel is my grandpa's thing. <laughs> that is that is a very interesting thought, <laughs> but but I I think I think uh, especially as long as Kevin Feige's in in, in charge, we're going to see a sort of generational evolution with this franchise. Mm-hmm. That within the next ten years, they're going to slowly recycle all the characters, and and bring in their replacements. Like this is a this is probably the first big example of replacing the the main six Avengers. 
that Anthony Mackie is going to de facto become Captain America at the end of this show. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a foregone conclusion. Um, And I think that's really interesting. And eventually, we're probably going to see someone else in the universe take over the mantle of Iron Man, or at least something very close to that, whether that's rescue or war machine or something. And I think they're slowly trying to figure out a way, how do we change our main characters in universe and recap like a soft reboot in real time. Mm-hmm. Like you need it like it's a mid-air refueling. And so far they're doing it really well. Well, what's and what, I think- the the other thing you start to see why they spent so much money on Fox uh in that right. now they have the X-Men Fantastic 4 to bring new life, you know, to this group. You know what I mean? So they they right. n- they now have two really big universes to be able to uh, spring some life into what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, it'll, it'll be and, interesting and, and to we're, see. And, and we're at a part now where we're getting a new Marvel item every single week of the calendar year. Yeah. As soon as Winter Falcon ends this Friday, the week after is going to be a making of, and the week after that, Loki starts. And then when that's done in six episodes, I believe Black Widow comes out in theaters theatrically. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I think there's the, the next TV show, uh, What If or The Eternals or whatever, not The Eternals well, movie, The um, there's, but there's a property every week. Every week they have something new. Not only that, and over the course of a year, there will be seven Marvel movies come out. Not not including the TV shows. Over the course of one year from Black Widow to a year from Black Widow, there will be seven insane. Marvel movies. That's, so, I did not know that. That is crazy. Because up until now, the, the most they had done was, I think, three in one year. It was 2019, right. I think. We got Ant-Man 2 and Infinity War and Captain Marvel, I think, all in... Now months. anything can change, but that I mean, yeah, right. currently that's the plan to get back on track that way. So it's just it's wild. It'll be interesting to see, but yeah, um, we've strayed a little bit from Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I think it's all appropriate conversation considering. Now this is what all Marvel good stuff. I, I was going to say um, on episode five, a specific point in the show I loved is the building the ship montage. It was just Sam and Bucky like working with their hands having jokes, being mm. friends, being cool dudes, and there's no threat, there's no bad guy, there's no ticking clock, there's no consequence. It's just two dudes hanging out, building a boat. And I was like, this is great. I want more hangout scenes because some of my favorite moments in all the Avengers movies are when they're just hanging out. The scene where they mm. try to lift the hammer in Age of Ultron is one of my favorites because it's just there's actually no one to fight. Mm-hmm. And they're just being people, interacting, and those are some of the coolest scenes in these movies and scenes in these TV shows where we want to see these different characters interact like humans in in realistic, down-to-earth, normal situations. It's cool that they can team up on the battlefield and take down Thanos, but like these smaller moments are some of the best, and I'm so glad we got that, a lot of it in Episode 5, and I was so glad that Episode 2 started right off the bat with them coming into the hangar together, because all of Episode 1, they're in separate plots, in separate scenes, they never interact in the first episode. And I was really worried, like, is this going to be the Falcon and then also the Winter Soldier? Or is it going to be the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? And I was really worried that, like, the whole show would just be them separately until the end. And thankfully, it was just that first 55 minutes, whatever. But th- the best stuff is when they're together, for sure. Just hanging out, eating some shawarma, you know, yeah. just doing, I lo- doing like, stuff. I love that stuff. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Uh, all right, we can move on. Uh, obviously, I think we're both enjoying it um, and uh, can't wait to see how it resolves. Uh, let's move on to the best ever challenge. Before we do that, though, uh, just a reminder, if you want to be a Sif Pop member, uh, lots of fun stuff going on over there right now, uh, including our Oscar talk that I talked about recently. There is a weekly 
Um, when there is a show, there's a weekly uh, bonus podcast for our Sif Pop members um, that you can listen to. Uh, if you want to be a member, it's patreon.com slash siftpop. Also, that podcast feed where your bonus uh, shows show up in uh, doesn't have any commercials in the main shows either. You may have been uh, hearing commercials as you listen to Sif Pop. It is one of the ways uh, that we're able to support what we do here. Um, but if you don't want to hear those, become a Sif Pop member and uh, you can do it that way as well. So go to patreon.com slash Check out the different levels there. And uh, thank you so much to our members for doing that. All right. Patrons get those perks. They sure do. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Uh, let's move on to the best ever challenge, best ever baby movies. Uh, as mentioned, feel free. Go ahead, free. read your list. Read, read your list of qualifiers. <laughs> feel free to take this to mean uh, movies that fe- prominently feature a baby or babies, um, movies that have baby in the title, or movies with a character named baby. Um, I think those are the three primary ways uh, something might yep. be considered a quote unquote baby movie. Uh, so let's go number five to number one, and we will trump each other if we have it higher than the other person. Uh, Jonathan, go first. What do you got at, uh, number five? Baby Driver. Me too! It's both of our number five! Super duper. Um, (laughs) this obviously qualifies, uh, both a character named Baby and Baby in the title. Um, Mm -hmm. super fun, kinetic, fast-moving, action, kind of comedy. I remember being kind of funny. Um, and the, just the editing and, and the style of this movie is very, yeah. very like music video. Uh, to it's a, a musical. That is, uh, yeah. It, I mean, to a degree that's intentional, right? There's music is woven, popular music is woven so tightly into the craft of this edit mm-hmm. and into the, the plot of the movie. Um, it's so much fun. I have to go back and rewatch this. I saw it like the week it came out. And I don't think I've seen it since. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a good rewatch. Really but is. But really, really fun. Um, and Ansel Elgort uh, does pretty great stuff in the lead role on that one. Yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, Edgar Wright has my number. I've talked about that before. I love how he thinks about movies. I love how he thinks about movie making. Uh, the musical aspect uh, of this is, is it's just, it's elite. It's elite level filmmaking uh, to be able to create uh, a musical like this. So yeah, Baby Driver is my number five as well. Nice. What's your Super number four? Duper. Gone, Baby Gone. I will trump it, but uh, just, okay. just, you know, briefly. Um, so I'll go with my number four, which you may trump. I don't know. Uh, my number four is Children of Men. Um, I would have had this at my number one. Yeah. Uh, but I decided to include it in my honorable mention because while a baby is integral to the plot of the picture, mm-hmm. um, it is not really about babies. It is about... I mean, it kind of is. I, 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 it kind of is. I, I will allow it. <laughs> I, I decided against it because the baby doesn't really factor in until near the end of the film. Sure. She's pregnant for almost all of it. Um, but... Gosh, what a brilliant picture. This yeah. is my favorite movie of 2006. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron directed, right? Cuaron, mm-hmm. not um, Inaratu? I always get them mixed up. Because uh, they both do those long oneers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Children of Men famously has a bunch of one-shots, or at least faux oneers that are stitched together with computer well, uh, tricks. One of and them... then they look they look gorgeous. They look they, it's so physically impossible. Some of these shots go in and out of moving cars, and it's like, how did they do this? And the answer is with a great degree of difficulty. Um, yeah, they, the, I was going to say, such a good film. the Wonners in uh, Children of Men are 
not completely oneers, but they are very close. So a lot of the stitching is only at the beginning and end. Like that, yeah, yeah. the car chase one specifically, I'm thinking of where they do come in and out of the vehicle, and so that's all done with camera. And it's just yeah. it's it's insane uh, how they pulled that off. And but, and, yeah. and the story is is just it's such a, a fascinating. It's really good dystopian sci-fi. What would happen to Earth? If the entire planet became infertile, if we had no future, if we if there were no more children, like we would lose all hope. There would be no point anymore. Everyone would just be super depressed all the time. If there was never going to be another generation, like what is this all for? What is the point? Yeah. And this movie, I think, really well explores that. And um, this is your pick. I'll let you talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you said you said pretty much everything I wanted to say. Uh, I, I want to go back to the wonder thing because I think a lot of times when people talk about these kind of things, I'll hear people use uh, the phrase athletic filmmaking, um, and they almost use it pejoratively in some terms. Yeah, yeah, right. You know? Um, and the idea of wonders being this thing like, oh, this little thing I can do because it's cool. And it's like, it's no. definitely, it's, it's definitely become showy. Like, oh, look, look how long be. mine is. It can be, yeah. but in the right hands, it's done because of how much it increases things like tension, uh, immersion. You don't realize how much you lose immersion when a movie cuts because you know what doesn't cut real life. Real life yeah, right. doesn't cut. Maybe when you go to sleep at night, you could call that a cut. I don't know. I'm just saying for the it's most part. It's a slow dissolve. <laughs> yes. It's a slow fade to black. Uh, I totally get what you're saying. And, and there's a scene at the end where um, Clive Owen has to walk through uh, like a burned out building past all these military guys with mm -hmm. the baby, with the first baby born on planet Earth mm -hmm. in 20 years. And because the camera doesn't ever cut, we never ever get a chance to like breathe or exhale. And the entire time, it's like, there's so much tension. You're just mm -hmm. waiting, like, get out of the building safely. Like, I just want you to leave the building safely. And I'm so afraid for you right now. And the fact that the camera doesn't ever leave him, you get this, like, ratcheting sense of claustrophobia mm -hmm. and tension. It's like, I cannot believe. We're, like, it's a 12-minute shot or something by the end of it. And you're just so relieved when it finally cuts. And he finally, it's like... Oh my gosh, thank yeah. goodness. Yeah. So, uh, yes, Fantastic. I get what people are saying when they talk about athletic filmmaking. However, uh, there's a reason that, that some of these things are done, and I think Children of Men uh, shows that. So, yeah, here you go. Great that was, movie. That was your number three or four? That was my number four. So, we're on to your number three. Uh, this one, primarily, big time baby film, uh, Look Who's Talking. Yeah. This is such a fun picture. Um, John Travolta and, and uh, Kirstie Alley. Late, what is this, 1987, 88 when this came out? Uh, Somewhere Bruce Willis there. plays a talking baby. It's fantastic. This <laughs> movie is just, it's its a fun family movie. I rewatched it after my first daughter was born a couple years ago. Um, and it, it doesn't hold up super well. Like, it, there's definitely, it's not a fantastic picture, but there's something so quaint and innocent and just fun. How about a movie where a baby talks like Bruce Willis? That's just a, that's a perfect pitch line. That's all you need. Well, it's the, the baby, and it's voiced by Bruce Willis. I'm in. This is fun. And there's something – it works. I think it's a romantic comedy. They have great chemistry in this. They're a really good couple, and you want to root for them. And there's just sort of that disparate worlds of, like, he's a taxi driver, and she's, I forget, like a waitress or something. And like, they shouldn't – they should be mismatched. They don't really get along. It was like a one-night – oh, he's not even the dad. He's like a, a just a guy that helped. But he decides, I'm going to take care of this kid. I'm going to be the dad. I'm going to be mm -hmm. your husband. And there's something about, yeah, taking responsibility for little baby Bruce Willis that just kind of melts hearts. And it's it's a funny film. When when have you seen it? Uh, when's the last time you saw it? Just a few years ago. See, I haven't I haven't seen it since I was 
you know, really young. Um, yeah, w- so- watching it as an adult, it definitely, like, all right, this isn't as hilarious as I remember. But when I watched it as a kid, I thought it was fantastic. Right. And that it yeah. gets points for that. It is a, it is a sort of a, an aimed at a lower audience. And I'll show I'll show this to my daughters when they're like six or seven, and they'll probably love it. Yeah, I didn't. I just I don't have enough familiarity with it to put it on my list. Um, yeah. but, but I do remember it being a lot of fun. So I'm I'm glad it was in my honorable mentions to talk about at least. Um, so I'm I'm glad you had it on there. Uh, let's talk about Gone Baby Gone. That's what I have at number three. So uh, sure. you had it at number four. I had it at number three. Uh, the quintessential go-to movie when I talk about moral conundrum movies. Um, mm. The idea of a movie that makes you walk out going, what would I do? And how long you process that. Uh, Gone Baby Gone is one of those movies. On top of the fact that it's really well made, really well acted. Uh, again, we talk about Shiva Baby kind of being in a time and place and feeling authentic to the creator's uh, worldview. Um, Gone Baby Gone feels very much the same way. Um, with how Boston it is, and yeah, just... I was gonna say this is definitely a very Homer movie for me. Like mm-hmm. it, this is this the Departed, Mystic River, the town. There was like a, a five year period between two thousand five two thousand ten, where we just got a slate of like really not just movies shot and filmed in Boston, but movies that like felt Boston mm-hmm. in a way that like you were inseparable from the thread of the picture. Um, that's one of the biggest things I remember about this movie is how well it, it sort of personified this area. Yeah. Um, in a way that was authentic, but also a bit critical. And the characters all had like a really good, like flawed, lived-in realism to them. Um, and and Casey Affleck is is fantastic. He's always been fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So Morgan Freeman, Casey Affleck, um, and Ben Affleck, of course, announcing himself as a director to be reckoned with. Um, yeah, for sure. So yeah, Gone Baby Gone definitely wanted to make sure it got on the list. Uh, both has baby in the title and also fe- prominently features uh, a baby uh-huh. in the movie. Um, all right, let's go to number twos, I believe. Is that yep. right? Uh, uh, this is uh, Three Men and a Baby. Ah, this, this is another is, one I haven't seen in a while. This is a, a same idea. The same week, we brought our daughter back from the hospital, uh, February 2018. We popped this in. This is, I think, the first movie we watched after she was born. Um, and it was delightful to, to recontextualize it with that uh, that prism. Sure. Of like, okay, we're into this now. We're changing diapers. This is happening. We're, we're not getting any sleep. Let's put on Tom Selleck and Ted Danson and um, Steve Gutenberg, right? Yeah. Um, and it's a funny premise. Like, three bachelors who have no intention of settling down. They're just left with a baby from one of their one-night stands, and the mom has flown the coop. And now these three guys in their 30s, the bachelor pad in Manhattan, how do we take care of a little girl? Um, and it feels like a great pilot for a sitcom that never got produced. Like it's like the yeah. it's the perfect it's the perfect sure. it's the perfect setup for like a long-running sitcom, especially with T- Ted Danson and Steve Gutenberg. Like these guys, Ted has been you know a television mainstay for 35 years now. Um, and this, I'm surprised this didn't get option for a TV show because it's such a fun premise. And I guess ultimately Full House was that, right? Three guys yeah. taking care of girls. Yeah, you're right. Um, but this this is kind of really, if you like Full House, you'll like this movie. And it's funny. It's quirky. Just a lot of antics about these guys. Like, how do they how do they dress them? Where are the diapers? Like, we don't understand anything. They're just completely unprepared. Um, and there's just a really sweethearted uh, experience. And I really dug it. Nice. Uh, my number two is Roma. Uh, I've talked many times about uh, how much I love this movie. Uh, Baby does feature prominently into this movie uh, in a way that I think is the crux of what this movie does with our lead character. 
Um, and uh, man, I don't know what else I, I have to say about this movie other than I totally understand if somebody can't find their way into this movie. Um, I, I get that that a lot of what ha- is happening here is is very, very personal to the director uh, and very personal to what's going on. Uh, once it clicked with me, um, it it moved me in the way that that few m- movies ever have. Um, and not only yeah, that, I, I've I've heard you talk about this film before, and and I'm uh, pleased that you have such an experience. I didn't ultimately, and this is one of the few pictures I think you and I have, have disagreed with mm-hmm. uh, um, on more than uh, a couple of points, I should say. Um, but hearing you talk about it is just like that's fantastic. I I, I love when. <laughs> I have that experience after a picture. Yeah. I didn't get it from Roma, but I understand why you did. And there are some really powerful scenes in that film. The one at the beach is like, oh my gosh. Yeah. You're you're just gutted and you're just like in a ball of knots for the entire three minutes or whatever. Yeah, I really, I could talk often about uh, thematically what Quran is doing here. By the way, second Quran movie on the list. And in, in, in fact, if it was going really abstract, I could put Gravity on here because that movie is very much uh, about birth. Um, even yeah. though it's never explicitly about that. Uh, yeah, I, is... I think that's definitely sort of a, a thematic. Oh, for sure. Yeah, with her floating around with the umbilical cord. And yeah. and yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's very much about birth. But anyways, I didn't go that far. Uh, but he definitely plays with the idea of parenting, birthing, all that stuff in his movies. It obviously means something very deep to him. Um, and uh, so, yeah, Roma comes in at number two for me. Uh, which brings nice. us to our number ones, my friend. What do you got at your number one? The 1938 screwball comedy with Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant, Bringing Up Baby. Uh, this movie is a laugh a minute at 102 minutes. That's that's a century of laughs right there. <laughs> um, this mo- I think it's, if people are, I know definitely people are maybe hesitant or afraid to get into older pictures 1938 black and white comedy how relevant how funny could it still be today 70 something years pretty funny extremely funny this movie is fantastic it's hilarious and if you're afraid or or, uh, trepidatious about going into an older movie in this genre this i think is a great like first step like watch this and like i cannot imagine you leaving this picture without some appreciation of how funny and how paradoxical some of the moments are. This feels like the best moments of a sitcom. Mm-hmm. It's just fast. The dialogue is really fresh and witty. And it's one of those things where, like, all these moments are happening simultaneously and they all kind of, like, it's a pile of coincidences. I mean, that's sort of the essence of any good screwball comedy. It's, like, all these, like, disparate plot threads that just all end up in one big pile at the end. Um, this is so funny. It's on AFI's um, Top 100, I believe. Um, and one, one of the one of the funniest movies of the '30s, certainly, and I would I would put it up there as one of the funniest movies just ever. Um, and it's so good. Uh, Bringing up babies, 1938, very very old, and yet very very good. Um, it's interesting with Cary Grant. You get this, and you get arsenic and old lace. And I wonder if when we have conversations about Cary or about uh, comedians who become great dramatic actors, I wonder if we kind of need to talk about Cary Grant. In that conversation, because really his early career was screwball comedy. And, and he did His Girl Friday a couple years after this. And that's just like an Aaron Sorkin mm-hmm. fire hose of a script. Yeah. It's really funny. Yeah. And then he transitions into Hitchcock movies and right. doing some some great stuff there. So, yeah, really interesting career there. Uh, Howard Hawks directed it. Um, you know, very well-known uh, director. Yeah. I, bringing a Baby is, is great. It is, it is old. And old movies have... 
you know, old movie making. I mean, you know, I, I, but, I, I'm not speaking to you there. I mean, you and I do not have that baggage. And I think anyone that's seen more than a couple thousand movies has invariably gotten over uh, that. But I know for a long time, I had the oldest movie I had seen up until I was like 25 years old was probably Wizard of Oz from, I think, the same year, 38. But I could count the number of 1920s and 30s movies I had seen on one hand mm-hmm. until I was probably 25 or 26 years old. Yeah. And I made a deliberate decision then. I'm like, I really need to broaden, uh, you know, temporarily what I'm watching. Yeah. And I I sought out movies that I had otherwise not even considered, watched a lot of silent movies. I've watched something like 45 movies last year that were made before 1925. Yeah. Just last year. And I, I really want to like expand my horizons. And I've been finding some great stuff. There's a gift, you know, that as a film lover, you kind of have to remind yourself to tap into, which is film's been around for a while and people have been making, telling great stories for a while. Um, You know, my, my list of shame has been legendary for how many, how much Billy, Billy Wilder stuff is on it. I just never really watched the Billy Wilder stuff until this year. And now I can't get enough of it. And I'm just, you know, watching you know, all this stuff. And it's, yeah, I think we need to remember as film lovers what a treasure we have because a lot of times we think is the future as the treasure is like, oh, I can't wait to see what's coming out in the future. And the past can be just as exciting. Um, it, it is it is telling that there must be, uh, you know, this podcast included a thousand people on YouTube this week talking about the Winter Soldier, uh, the Falcon of the Winter Soldier. Um, probably three people have reviewed bringing up baby in any long form <laughs> yeah. worthy discussion. Um, and that's, I don't want to say that's, that's not great. Um, but I, I would like to see that remedied because I feel like so much of the discussion is on just comic books and new movies. And very rarely do we go back and appreciate the stuff we already have. And so much of it is brilliant. I uh, definitely had it. My honorable mentions, uh, my number one, uh, best ever baby movie is the movie. I stretched the category for the most, <sighs> So if you want to veto it, you can. But I think Baby Jack Jack is enough a part of The Incredibles uh, to call The Incredibles uh, my number one. Uh, it is a stretch. Eh, I don't know. I'll allow you, it. I don't it's know that close. you'd say it prominently features a baby, but I think he's a main character, and some of the scenes are, you know, all about him. I don't know. It's it's a bit of a stretch, but that's. I know I you love The Incredibles. That's one of I your do. top five movies, right? Because I know Finding Nemo is your favorite Pixar. Correct. Correct. But this is like right next to that, right? Yeah, it's in it's in top ten at least. Um, I'd have to pull up the list. I, I kind of rearrange it uh, every year, but uh, but yeah, it's definitely in the top ten. Had, uh, had I not second guessed myself, uh, Children of Men um, would have been my number one. I think all time that's probably in my top fifty movies. Yeah. Um, again, my, probably my favorite movie from two thousand six. Um, but yeah, Incredibles is a perfectly incredible pick. I will allow that. If uh, we don't, I don't think we need really to discuss much. I feel like you probably already no, have. I probably on talked about it. If if we wanted to disallow it, uh, everything would move up, and probably bringing up baby would have been my number five. So okay, well, there um, so there you go. Is how that would. What have was your out. What was your number two then? Uh, Roma. Or, or Roma would have ended up being okay, yeah. my my number one. Uh, That's fine. Pick two. Some others. Uh, did you have any others you wanted to mention? Honorable mentions. Um, whatever happened to Baby Jane? Another sure. great black and white uh, play based drama. Uh, that's one of those movies, like acting the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. just it's just a performance of those two powerhouses. Um, I remember really loving this when I watched it a few years ago, but I haven't seen it in a while. I don't remember enough uh, other than just it's very good. Um, and then a movie I watched recently, I've been working my way through the uh, the DCOMs, the Disney Channel original movies, um, and I got to Quince this week, which is a movie about uh, hmm. a pair of quintuples. 
not a great movie, um, not even a, a good movie, um, but it has five babies in it. And like <laughs> right there, that's 500% more than the rest of these pictures. That's so right. That's right. If we talk about a movie that prominently features babies, this one features five. That's right. Can't get better than that. Uh, it, it was a good background watch. It was perfectly affable. And I think if you're under 10, you'd like it. I think if you want to have more baby than that, you're going to end up talking about Boss Baby, and nobody wants that. So, uh, no, so, no. so we're not going there. Gosh, or or um, another movie I watched recently in my effort to watch everything that's terrible um, is Baby Geniuses. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And gosh, what a terrible! It's not as bad as Super Babies Two, Super Geniuses, or whatever it's called, the sequel. Um, but the first Baby Geniuses movie is really quite awful, and mostly not because of the dumb premise where babies are smart. And we lose that intelligence as we get mm-hmm. older. But that they insist on using CGI replacement on the baby's lips. Like in Look Who's Talking, Bruce Willis is voicing the baby, but the mouth doesn't move. We right. just hear it internalized like we do in many animal movies. We just hear the voice. Mm-hmm. In in the in the Super Babies movies, they replace their lips and it just looks so uncanny. And looks so disturbing yeah. to see babies move and talk like a human. Like it's just so unnatural, and I you hate it. You just it's <laughs> you hate to see easy it. to hate. Uh, let's see, Juno. I think probably deserves yep, uh, sure. a mention. Um, Dirty Dancing, possibly yep. a mention in there puts as well. Baby in a corner. Uh, Raising Arizona, I think, is a good one to to bring up. Uh, definitely a, a baby prominent. I haven't seen there. that yet. That's actually near the. Oh. That's on. That's like probably top twenty on my list of shame. Actually, okay, fair enough. Uh, let's see, Rosemary's Baby. Someone mentioned in the chat. Uh, I hated that. Not talking about that next. We'll, we'll put that next to Quince and Super Babies as my dishonorable mentions. Uh, and then a couple that are a bit of a stretch, but I do think the babies uh, fit fairly prominently in there. Into the Woods. Uh, and neighbors, um, both have babies. Um, neighbors definitely. I don't. I, into the woods, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's about having a baby and you know yeah. trying to do that. Anyways, um, there you go. I didn't best, love the movie though. So best, I did, but I'm a musical <laughs> guy. Oh yeah, I like loved it, loved it. Yeah, I really liked Into the Woods. Well, good for you. That's good. Uh, let's see, best ever baby movies. Uh, if you can think of any, let us know. We will now get into our buried treasure. What's that one Ooh. thing in any area of pop culture you want to make sure people know about? Uh, Jonathan is our guest. You get to go last, so I will kick us off. Kind of going on the same thing we were talking about with appreciating different eras of film and the treasure that is the past. Uh, I went on an accidental binge of Mutiny on the Bounty movies. I watched all three Mutiny on the Bounty movies this weekend. Aren't there like five? No. Well, not that I know of. I just knew of the three. There was 1935. The one with Charles Langford and... and, um, Lawton. uh, I think and it was Lawton, yeah, yeah. Lawton and Gable. Uh, and, 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 uh, and Gable, mm-hmm. Clark Gable. And then the 50s one with, is there, there was the a 50s 60s. one with. 62 was Brando. Okay, that's the last one. Okay, 62 with Brando and then 85 with Mel Gibson, right? Correct. Yeah, 84, I think. Yeah, with uh, Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins as Bly, okay. as Captain Bly. Now, I will tell you, uh, I knew a little bit about this story. It's a pretty famous story. Um, and I found this process of watching these three movies back to back to back. So fascinating. I think you can learn a lot about different styles of storytelling, how changing the emphasis of a story completely changes the movie. Um, This is is a really great uh, week of like film school 
if if you want to like for sure. l- learn stuff about movie making, even just yep. the different eras, like and we're due, right? You've got the 30s, the 60s, the 80s. Like we're due for another Mutiny on the Bounty movie. Um, Maybe that's why I thought there was a fourth one, but I, I could be mixing that up with a Rob- Robin Hood has had like a hundred. Sure, sure, yeah. And I, 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 but I know we've had one recently. I thought there was a Mutiny on the Bounty that came out in the last five years, but I guess not. Uh, I would recommend them all for different reasons. I liked the Bounty the least. I liked the Mel Gibson that's Anthony the Hopkins. Eighties one, right? Yeah, uh, one the least. And I'll I've talk- only seen the first, and I've, I've seen the original from thirty-five and the in the eighty-four. And I love the Clark Gable one. That film is absolutely phenomenal. So here's the here's the thing. That is an Oscar-winning film. Uh, the one in 62 was nominated for uh, a bunch of stuff and, and does have Brando in it. I actually watched 62 first. It was just kind of in my line of movies to watch. This is how I accidentally stumbled into this. Realized yeah, right. I hadn't watched the 35 version, so I watched that next. And I was like, well, I might as well you know, knock the, the 84 version off too and watch that. I think the 62 version has a lot to like about it, especially the first half of the movie. I think it is the best uh, mutiny scene of the three. Um, I think the way they decide to set that event um, is better than the other two. Um, They set it in a daylight moment where things are building to a crescendo and then Brando's just had enough and he goes for it. Uh, In the 84 version, it happens at night. And they do a sneak attack, and you know, and uh, I forget actually the thirty-five uh, mutiny part is really just kind of almost matter of fact. the the whole The whole mutiny thing is just like, okay, it's time I'm doing this, um, and it just kind of happens. So, um, you know, that was really interesting to see. The second half of the sixty-two version is not great. Brando gets really into like this moody version of the Christian Fletcher character where it really becomes all about Christian Fletcher, just like solely about um, he's all bummed out. At the end, he decides we're going back to England. We're going to convince them that that Bly is the reason this happened, and if they hang us, they hang us, but we need to go back. His men burn the boat behind his back uh, and to keep them from going back to England uh, to do that, which is completely different than the other two movies play this. Now, I think it's of, also historically inaccurate as well. Well, there's a lot unknown historically, right? Like this happened, you know, so far ago, and there are different re- uh, reports. What's interesting is the main thing. I'm t- I, I could probably talk about this for half an hour. I had so much. <laughs> I'm enjoying fun. it. No, I, no, no. I, no, I I'm had, so fascinated by the bounty story. Honestly, I had so much fun thinking about this. Historians will talk about this event as being the primary event that led to a better relationship between superiors and crewmen uh, on their vessels. This was like, okay, we need to do something about this. We need to um, be able for it not to be so contentious between crew right. and, and, and their... Th- and, and so it's interesting to see how each of these three movies play with that. The bounty doesn't even touch on it. Like, it doesn't even care about that, which I find really interesting since... Uh, that seems to what it's about. The thing about the 35 that is makes it so great is the last half that is a it's a court battle. The last half of the the first mutiny on the bounty is about who was in the right and who was you know in well, Christian Fletcher's not there because he's off on the Pacaren Islands or whatever or disappears somewhere. But um, one of the crewmen is there to plead his own case against Bly, um, loses that court battle, but then gets I think the um, the king. Uh, commutes the sentence or or whatever the case may be and he ends up working uh, on boats again um the the bly character is an absolute villain 
in 35 and 62 and is the hero of the movie in 84. Bly is absolutely 100% the hero of that movie. Uh, It ends with him with a single tear coming down his face as he's acquitted because he did nothing wrong. Um, And it was really all Christian Fletcher just being lovesick for uh, the, the native island and their time on Tahiti. Uh, that just lost his mind because he was so in love with the girl on Tahiti. And that is nowhere in 62 or 35. It's just so interesting that I don't mean that the Tahiti stuff isn't in those movies. It is, but that's not, but Christian Fletcher is trying to stand up against a, uh, and this by all uh, means is historical, a captain who was absolutely awful to his crew. In the 35 and the 62, you have examples of him telling people to steal things and then making them take the lashes for stealing them, right? Like that story is in both of those movies. You have keel hauling in both of those movies, which is this terrible torture where you make somebody drag them under the ship, yeah, yeah. you know? I remember that being none of, <laughs> none of that is in the bounty he does none of those things he's just he's a great captain who's a little bit stern but christian fletcher can't handle it and i just i find that so interesting um to see how differently these I, movies I, are I, I do this um occasionally where I'll, I'll watch a movie that has an updated version i remember watching um a perfect murder right after dial m for murder mm-hmm. um and it's so interesting to see the modern adaptation of an old black and white film um, a few years back on YouTube, I reviewed a bunch of Dracula movies from Nosferatu to the 33 version with Bela Lugosi to the 58 version from Hammer Films to uh, a weird one from Herzog in the 70s to, um, what's his name, the, 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 the big budget one with Keanu Reeves in the 90s. Um, and it was so interesting to see that same character interpreted in wildly different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and watching different adaptations of the same thing is, I think, the closest you can get without reading a book to having that sensation of what you get when you read a book before seeing a movie. And you have your own ideas and your own I- of concept of what you want the plot to do and where mm-hmm. you're expecting it to go because you already know the story. And then seeing it play out in a different way. Um, and I watched both the Monte Cristos uh, back-to-back last fall. The one from the 30s and then the one with um, Jim Caviezel and, mm-hmm. and yeah. from, I think, 2002. And that was the same thing where I loved both of them for very different reasons. Yeah. And I really loved the original. But then the, the new one is like, well, this by all accounts updated and fixed everything I didn't like. So why don't I like it as much? And you kind of have to figure out, like, what what about each movie did the, each part best? And yeah. you kind of said it yourself. Like, you loved the beginning of one and the half – Oh, yeah, the other, the I'll take the first half of 62, the second right. half of 35 in 84 can go sit in a corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so fascinating that you kind of, in your own headcanon, put together like this Frankenstein mm-hmm. of a movie. Like, I wish this existed because this is my favorite part <laughs> of all three. <laughs> yeah. And you can kind of slalom between it and get to a point that is, you know, satisfactory. But that's yeah. cool that you went back and watched all three in one week. I've seen them years apart and I don't think I've ever seen the 62 one yet. So yeah, I I would say uh, it's it's definitely worth watching for kind of that uh, the, just the fascination of storytelling and how it changes. Um, again, I would absolutely say see the thirty five, see the sixty two. You don't need to see the eighty four uh, if you don't want to. Um, lo- a lot more nudity in the eighty four, that's for sure. They they were much more careful with the uh, the island women in the the thirty five and the sixty two than than they were in the uh, eighty four. So. Uh, that was also an interesting, you know, kind of going to the 80s uh, aesthetic like that. I think if you made it now, if they made the version now, it would be much more about imperialism and just yep. the idea of, you know, taking this breadfruit from Tahiti in the first place. Like, none of that is in any of these three versions. The idea that, 
you know, the English. What they uh, were doing was totally wrong. <laughs> well, at least morally um, yeah. questionable, you know, at least yeah. have some question about it. But no, it's it's very much, um, you know, from the that, that perspective. So that would be the version that gets made now is the version that takes more into account the indigenous people of Tahiti and and those, you know, mutiny on the bounty from the Tahitian point of view. Like that's I, I don't know. Maybe it's there. I don't know. So yeah. interesting. What if, what if what if it and Moana exist in the same universe? Well, there you go. Who knows? Could be. One, uh, one really cool thing before we move off on this. Uh, well, I went down a rabbit hole years ago when I first watched um, the thirty five version. Not only are the settlers on Pitcairn Island uh, still around and thriving, the the Fletcher family name lives on today, and oh, he sure. has a website and he has photographs. Uh, like uh, Christian Fletcher's like five times great grandson is alive. Well, he's our age. He has a website. He does photography up at Karen Island and you can buy paintings of his and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's wild to me. They're like this character that Mel Gibson played is alive or his, his grandson is alive and well on this Island. Well, and it was an uninhabited Island when they yeah. hid there. Yeah. You and, know? and then they're still that they still exist. The bounty wreckage is still in, in the bay mm-hmm. of this Island today. You can see it on Google earth. You can zoom yeah. in and see the wreckage. It's still there. 150, 60 years, whatever, later. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's what cool. do you got in your uh, buried treasure, Jonathan? Uh, completely different ty- style <laughs> of movie. Um, I'm going with Tiny Toon Adventures, How I Spent My Vacation. Oh, okay. Which has the distinction of being the first direct-to-video feature-length animated film in U.S. history, uh, which surprised me. I watched it when it came out, released in 1992. And it's sort of an amalgamation of the old Tiny Toon Adventures TV show. It takes all these characters, Bugs and Buster Bunny and Plucky Duck and Ham Pig, um, and it puts them in separate but parallel plots, uh, which is kind of the only way you can stretch like a Tiny Toon Adventure format to 80 minutes, is no one plot thread is longer than like 20. Um, but they're all happening simultaneously. Um, and the reason I went back and revisited this for the first time in 30 years um, is because there's a joke in there where Plucky mentions that at this rate, we'll probably, we won't get to Happy World Land, this Disney World analog. And we'll, he pulls out the map, does this calculation, one of those long jokes where he's like, I'm going to carry the one, da, 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 da. We'll be there on April 6, 2021. <laughs> so in in uh, in accordance with that joke, I watched it on April 6th. Nice. I had, I had probably seen this movie 15 or 20 times as a kid. And it was so fascinating to go back to a movie that I have not seen in close to three full decades. And everything in this movie, I remembered and didn't simultaneously, if that makes any sense. I could not remember a single minute of this film when I started it, but every single joke was like, oh my gosh, that's where that is. Like so much of this was like outside the the boundary of my memory, but Mm -hmm. it was right there. And as soon as the joke happened, I remembered it instantly. And there was something really fascinating about going back and watching a childhood favorite that I haven't seen in so long. And seeing how it holds up, how much of that influenced my comedy and my sensibilities as like a seven-year-old. Yeah. And um, it holds up. It was still really funny. There was a lot of really good jokes and so much of the adult humor here I completely missed as a kid. There's long extended gags involving talk show hosts like David Letterman and Jay Leno. And I'm like, I would not have got this at seven years old. This is... But as an adult, I really appreciated this joke where they have Roseanne Barr fall off a balcony. Like, that was funny. <laughs> and and there was this kind of thing like, this This was in a kid's movie? I liked this? It was it was a trip. So my advice would be not necessarily this movie, but find that picture that you remember loving 
as a kid, the v- VHS or the DVD you wore out as a child. Yeah. Get your hands, if you, especially if you haven't seen it at all since. Um, and certainly I grew up on a lot of the old Disney classics like Aladdin, but I had watched those before and since. Mm-hmm. Um, but find a movie you haven't, the longest time you can remember between when you last watched it and today. Mm-hmm. And give that a revisit. It, it was a fun experience. Uh, Escape from Witch Mountain. Uh, I had that experience with um, Apple Dumpling Gang, uh, Tim Conway. You know, a lot of this stuff, by the way, is on Disney Plus. Like that's this is yeah. a treasure trove of that kind of stuff for you. Um, Flight of the Navigator was like that for me uh, a little bit. Like you're right, you you like remember bits and pieces, but not really a lot. And then you watch it, and you're like, oh no, I know every single joke in this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in this as, movie. there was it's there was as so they were weird. happening, yeah. as the jokes were happening, I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. I yeah. remember this. I remember the line. I remember the intonation of the delivery. Yeah, totally. But like, like second to second, I was remembering it in real time. But a minute before that, I had no idea what would happen next. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of great. It was really cool. Nice. Very fun. Uh, well, we did it, man. We did a podcast. We, we accomplished what we set out to do. Um, we may not have gotten breadfruit to bring back to England, we, but we, we did. We talked make a... for 90 minutes. <laughs> we did. We did. We talked We're winners. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Sif Pop is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Uh, huge thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show today. Uh, appreciate you, Phil. Thanks to Drew for putting together some of the content for the show today. Uh, big clap. I think is what Andrew says. And uh, thank you to Jonathan Paula for hanging out. Uh, where do you want to send people? What do you want to tell them about uh, about Jonathan Paula Industries? Uh, again, every time you ask me this, I'm always so ashamed that I haven't done anything <laughs> except this podcast. <laughs> um, but I have been very active on Letterboxd lately. I, I wrote something like eight reviews in eight days. And these are like long 600-word reviews. Um so I don't know, proud is probably too strong a word, but I'm, I'm really glad that I'm, I'm trying to shake off some of that rust and, and get more into a, a critical awareness of what I've been watching. Wrote a long, long write-up on the Passion of the Christ on Easter. Um, so yeah, check me out on letterbox.com forward slash J-O-N-P-A-U-L-A, John Paula. Um, and I'm also reviewing a bunch of uh, Disney Channel original movies as I watch all 106 of those this year. Ah. I, am, I am up to the year 2000 where Disney, I, I, I kid you not, released something like 16 movies in a single year. Wow. Why? I don't know why. they. That's every three weeks. Cool it, guys. <laughs> so Slow I'm, only at, I'm only at 2000, but uh, I've watched at least 12 or 13 now and none of them are good. <laughs> There you go. Absolutely there zero you go. have been good. Uh, also want to thank our Sif Pop members for giving monthly to make Sif Pop a real thing. Support starts at 3 bucks a month. Uh, $5 a month gets you access to every bonus episode as well. Uh, so check out all the levels, the perks, all that fun stuff at patreon.com slash Uh Lots of ways to connect with us. Feel free to comment, late, uh, rate, or leave a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And you can email us as well, feedback at sifpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show too, so make sure you let them know about it and that listening is much easier than burning yourself with Sheila's lukewarm coffee. 
we will be back next week with the Oscar show, but it will be video only. Your podcast feed will be empty, but please tune in to the show on YouTube, Twitch, uh, anywhere else that you can follow the Sif Pop Show video. We'll be doing that next week, and then we'll be back in two weeks on the podcast uh, with some more fun stuff, probably including Mortal Kombat. Uh, so we will see you then. Bye. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.